morning. We are so excited that you are here this morning. We are in Philippians chapter one in a sermon series entitled Citizens of Heaven. And I'm really excited about today's verses that we're going to be looking at, the verses that Adam just read. Thank you, Adam, for that. And uh, walking through this, this book this fall, every single week, looking at Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And many of our community groups are also unpacking uh, this book throughout the week in discussion and application questions. And so this theme that we're kind of looking at is the theme of as citizens of heaven, which Paul calls us, those of us that are followers of Jesus and Christians, we are citizens of a heavenly country. So as citizens of heaven, how do we approach life? How do we look at and experience and walk through the life that we live here on this earth, how do we live it as citizens of heaven? If we're Christians first, how does that shape our life and our lifestyle and our decisions and the things that we do and say? Today, we're gonna be looking at this idea of what it means to sacrifice for the gospel, to sacrifice who we are for the sake of the gospel. And I want us to start in verse number twenty. Pastor Nate ended with this verse last week, but I think it's really a good transitional verse that I want us to look at again today before we jump into the next couple of verses here. So if you would look at verse 20 of Philippians chapter one with me, Uh, once again, it says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In the Zeb Greenfield version, the ZGV, if you will, I'm going to give you my paraphrase of what I think Paul is trying to say here. He says, my hope is that now and always Christ will be exalted in my life or in my death. Now and always Christ will be exalted. Can you turn to your neighbor and say now and always for me? Turn to the person next to you and say, now and always, now and always. That's kind of the idea of what I think Paul is trying to get at in these verses that we're gonna look at this morning is this idea that regardless of what's happening, Paul, he, he was in the midst of, he was in the middle of prison. He was in a, in, a, in a dark, damp prison cell under lock and key, facing probably an imminent death sentence or so he thought. And he wrote with confidence and boldness that, you know what, more people are going to come to know Jesus. They're going to come into contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ, either through my release, either through me getting out of this situation that I'm in, or they're going to come to know Christ more as a result of my death, my martyrdom for the faith of Jesus. In verse 21, he describes what I call a win-win situation. (laughs) A win-win situation in verse 21. Look at it with me. It says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. What? To, to die is gain? Paul, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about here? What, what are you trying to say? How, how could Paul sit, have such a cavalier attitude about dying? Oh, yeah, you know what? It's just, it's gain. It's good. It's going to be great, right? Death is going to be great. How, how could he have such an attitude? Was, was he suicidal? Was he maybe in the midst of depression? Was he contemplating the significance of his life? Was, was he suffering a, a mental health crisis? What was happening in Paul's mind as he wrote these words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? I believe Paul actually fully grasped 
the difference between living and dying. And he wasn't convinced, he hadn't convinced himself which one he would rather have. He wasn't convinced which one he would rather choose. So as we think about this idea, why was Paul so confident that death would be a win, that that dying would be gainful and beneficial for him? What was it that he was trying to communicate? What was Paul going to gain in death? Well, as citizens of heaven, which Paul really believed he was, and, and we as followers of Jesus are, Paul believed that death was not the end. Death was not the conclusion of this life. Death was not the conclusion of all of these things that had happened to him that led to this moment where he finally kicked the bucket. That, that wasn't what was in Paul's mind. You see, Paul believed that death was simply the door to eternity. Death was just the beginning of an eternal relationship with God and Jesus, his savior. Death was not the end. It was the moment that his faith would become sight because faith is what we hope for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And now Jesus is there and Paul's walking through death's door and his faith is becoming sight and he would no longer be burdened by the cares and pressures and stress and anxiety and persecution that he endured in his life. He would be eternally with God in heaven. He would no longer have to worry about getting mobbed and getting stoned and getting beaten and being shipwrecked and being imprisoned and being beaten and all of the things that Paul went through. No, death was actually probably a better outlook. It was probably a better choice. Uh, For all the things that Paul went through, dying meant going to be with his Savior. For him, death meant going home because he was a citizen of heaven. And so dying would be entering into that heavenly home. You see, this understanding, this understanding of of what Paul's eternal future was that lay ahead for him, this made him unafraid of dying. He wasn't afraid of what lie behind that door of death. You see, he even told Governor Festus when he was defending himself in Caesarea in Acts chapter 25, he told Festus, I am not trying to escape death. I'm not trying to get out of it. I'm not trying to escape it. I'm not trying to do everything that I can to live and continue to live in this life because I understand what dying means. And so the question that I have for you this morning is, is why do we fear death? Why do many people in our culture have a general fear of this inevitable event that happens to everyone? There is obviously a great fear and stigma and concern and phobia of what happens when someone dies. And obviously we've been given life and life is precious. And I don't wanna uh, uh, negate that this morning, but the, the idea is this morning that God has given us a life to live and ultimately that life at some point will come to an end. So why do we fear death? Is it because we're afraid of the unknown? fear of not knowing what lies on the other side, a fear that many are so focused on acquiring possessions and achieving assets and 
getting power and having experiences and the fear that they won't be able to take any of that with them. You know, it's interesting. I find fascinating that the Egyptians had this idea that they took things into the afterlife with them. You know, the pyramids and all of the the graves, they would just pile all this stuff in there with them because they thought that they would take it to the other side. The reality is, is we take nothing with us when we leave this earth. And so maybe there's a fear of what happens when I'm gone? What's going to happen to all of those things that I've been just totally consumed, living my life about, my life has been about acquiring and achieving and experiencing and getting and gaining that we've forgotten that this is not the goal. As citizens of heaven, we're not just to, to, to lay up for ourselves treasures here on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. You see, the, the YOLO culture has been popularized recently, this idea of you only live one life, right? But thousands of years, humans have lived life like that. You only live once, so just do all that you can. YOLO, right? But the, the reality is this morning that yo life is coming to an end. <laughs> so there's a, there's a fear that creeps in. There's a, an uncertainty, an anxiety, a worry that begins to take over as people begin to understand that at one day, one, at one point, death happens to all of us. It's inevitable. Maybe we fear death because of who or what we leave behind. It's family or friends or spouse or children or a business or an estate or whatever it might be. We fear death because of we don't wanna leave those people. We don't wanna leave that in uncertainty. We don't wanna leave it behind and not know what's going to happen to it. We fear death for many reasons, but when we recognize, like Paul did here, to die is actually better. To die is gain. It's because we recognize that we are citizens of a heavenly country. That what is ahead of us is far greater and far better than what is in front of us. To live is Christ and to die is gain. In January of 2020, I was privileged to officiate the wedding of a dear friend's daughter. And the wedding took place at the chapel at Seattle Children's Hospital. Shelly had just turned 21 years old and she'd been battling neuroblastoma, which is a, a rare form of childhood cancer, for over five years. And she'd been through treatment after treatment after treatment and years of radiation and chemo and trials and pain. And here she was, a, just a beautiful picture of God's grace as she came in on her wheelchair. And, and I officiated the wedding of, of her and her fiance, her husband. Her life was an incredible testimony of God's grace and his goodness. And anyone who met Shelley would have been blessed by her spirit, by her, by her joy, by her peace. On September 22nd of last year, just a year ago this past week, she told her doctors not to resuscitate her and that she was at peace because she knew where she was going. And in that moment, in that, that hospital room, she took that opportunity to share with all of the doctors and all of the nurses and everybody in that hospital room as to why 
she was ready to make that decision because she knew where she was going. She knew what lay ahead. She knew what was on the other side. She was going home to see God. She was going to run again. She was going to be free from pain. Less than two weeks later, Shelly ran into the arms of Jesus. And whenever I think of her, I think of someone who wasn't afraid of death. She anticipated it. She, she didn't want to leave her family behind, but she knew and believed in the promise of heaven that awaited her. She knew that dying was gain. She lived as a citizen of heaven here on this earth, and she told as many people as she could. She told as many doctors and nurses and other patients at the hospitals that she was at how they could have the same peace that she had, the peace of knowing that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the one who provides peace that passes all understanding. Shelly, thank you for your example. Thank you for what you have taught me. And may we live our lives in a similar fashion. The idea that death is not something to be afraid of. Death is not the end for the believer. Death is not the end for someone who follows Jesus. Death is simply the beginning of an eternity with God. There is a powerful hymn that says this, no guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. You see, for Paul, he understood and knew that to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So if death is gain, it's, it's important for us to understand the other side of it as well because the reality is if you're here this morning, if you're watching online this morning, you're still alive, you're still breathing. So God still has a purpose for you. God still has a plan. He still has things that lay ahead for you to fulfill while you're here on this earth. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to see what is, what is it that God has called us to? What is it that we are to continue to do? Because Paul was, he was at a crossroads here. He was at, at, a, at a point of decision in his life, uh, although it wasn't completely in his hands. He, he wasn't sure uh, when the end would come, but he made a conscious decision, a conscious choice to live a life of sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Let's continue reading in verse 22. Here's what Paul says in verse 22. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which I should choose. I, I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, to die is gain, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 26, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So what does it look like 
to exalt Christ now in this life? What does it look like to lift Jesus up? And notice, if you would with me, the focus of why Paul was continuing to embrace the life that he had and the life that Jesus was continuing to let him live. What was it that he was kind of focused on? Well, look at verse 24 with me. Again, it says there in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. For me to live is necessary because you will be benefited by it. In verse 25, he he then goes on to say, uh, I'm persuaded and to know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your what? For your progress, for your joy in the faith. In verse 26, he says, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting may abound in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul was trying to help the Philippians understand that his life, that he was going to continue to live in Christ, was a life that he was going to put the gospel first. He was going to put other people, the church, first, because that is the reason that God had left him here. That was the reason that he needed to continue to live. His life was not about the experiences that he could have the places that he could go. I mean, if you liked to travel, you would wanna be in Paul's party, okay? I mean, this guy traveled everywhere, it seems like, in the known world. And it wasn't about all of the seven wonders of the world that he could check off of his list and all of the places that he could get a stamp on his passport. It wasn't about all the experiences that he could have or the places that he could go or the platform that he could build for himself. Man, this guy, he wrote most of the New Testament, but it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the brand. It wasn't about the followers that he had. It wasn't even about necessarily the churches that he had started, the notoriety that he could acquire. His life was a life of sacrifice so that other people could benefit because of the gospel, now and always. Now and always, I want my life to exalt Jesus. Whether in death or in life, I'm going to live in such a way that brings glory to God so that God can get the praise, so that God can be glorified, so that more people can come to know and follow Jesus. You see, Paul is simply following the example that we see in Jesus himself. Paul says, I'm willing to give up what would be better for me. What I believe to be gain and better, I'm going to give that up in order for your benefit. You see, this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus left heaven. He left the presence of God. He left the very place of peace and he came to us. He came to this world, this broken and sin-sick world, Jesus came in the lowliest form to die the death of the lowliest of criminals. He came and gave that all up. He, he, He surrendered his equality with God, as we're going to see in the next chapter. He surrendered that to come and to live and to die so that we can have access to God. This is the gospel. What's fascinating is you think about the the culture, the day and age that Paul was writing to here in the first century. In, In every culture, Egyptian, Jewish, Canaanite, Greek, Roman, sacrifices were the norm. 
Sacrifices were demanded and offered by the people. But what's fascinating about what God has done is that God sacrificed himself. You see, he didn't demand a sacrifice of us. He presented himself as the ultimate sacrifice so that the debt would be paid. This is the gospel, that God in his radical, reckless love for you and for me, he poured out his wrath for sin upon his son. So now that God has purchased back, he has redeemed us, he has bought us back, he has delivered us from the bondage of sin and death. Now, what does that mean for us? How do we live our lives in Christ? How do we exalt Jesus now and always? It's about sacrificing for the gospel. In Galatians chapter two and verse 20, Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, he writes this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, this life that I have chosen to live, it's far better for me to go and to be with Christ, but to live as Christ. So the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul realized that his life that he lived, that he had, was not his own. It had been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And so now I'm going to offer myself to live in Christ, to crucify myself, to live as though Christ is living in me. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter nine and verse 23, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross daily. And I, oftentimes I, I feel like this is kind of one of those cultural things that we kind of tend to twist and, and, and Americanize, if you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, that's my cross to bear. I've got to commute an hour to work every day both ways. It's just my cross to bear. You know what I mean? It's like we, we, we kind of twist that. But what Jesus was talking about is literally the, the cross beam. You're going to take that up and you're going to offer yourself and you're going to die and you're going to crucify everything that you want to follow me. Because to live is Christ, not what Paul wants, not what Zeb wants, not what you want, but what does Jesus want? Jesus goes on to say, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit if someone gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself. You see, the gospel life, the life that is in Christ is a life of sacrifice, a life of denying self, of crucifying myself so that others can come to know Jesus and so that God can be exalted. See, Paul is modeling for the church in Philippi this way of life that, that was and still is contrary to popular culture. You see, culture tells us to live life for yourself, to do what makes you happy, to follow your heart, to do what it is that you desire to do. People go through life just doing whatever it is that they feel like they want to do. But what Christ commands us to, and what Paul is trying to exemplify for the church in Philippi, is that I, I must deny myself of something that I want, 
in order that someone else may have something that they need. I have to deny what I want so that you can have what you need. That is the life of a citizen of heaven. There's a a mystery that has just stupefied men around the world for thousands of years. I, I firmly believe many a man has been mystified by the cravings of a pregnant woman. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, I, don't, I don't know or understand the science behind it. I am, I'm not at all uh, knowledgeable of, of those things, but I have experienced it firsthand. Uh, when my wife Leah was, was pregnant with both of our children, there were specific and very strange things that she craved, if you guys know what I mean. And what was even crazier was that uh, it wasn't just that she wanted something salty or sweet or savory or spicy, but it was the combos of food that would just weirdly go together. I, I, I could not make sense of it, did not make sense to me. Sometimes she wanted pickles and ice cream. Explain that to me. I don't know. Chips and salsa washed down by hot coffee, okay? Uh, (laughs) Potato chips and sour candy. I mean, I I just, I I don't know what it is. It's crazy. But those things happened. And then the other aspect of this phenomenon that just probably drives all of us men crazy is that the cravings just have a way of coming like really late at night, like at the most... (laughs) inopportune times. I mean, I just, I just, I'm just sitting on the couch watching football or I just, I'm about ready to go to bed, you know, and it's like, hey, I really need those, you know, chips and sour candy. Can you go to the store and get them for me? Yeah, uh, I, in that moment, learned what true sacrifice really is. I learned very quickly that the desires of a pregnant woman completely trumped my own, Okay. No chance. And I, I, you can't even like try to fight it, right? It's like, hey, I, I, I'm carrying a baby here, okay? Like, just, you need to, I'm, I'm doing this for nine months. You can go to the store for nine minutes, okay? And grab me what I want. So what I wanted was less important than what Leah needed. And that's just a funny way of, of, of thinking about what Jesus wants for us. Oftentimes, we just want a life of comfort, and security, and stability, and all of these things, and all of those things are great. But what is it that Jesus is calling us to give up? What is it that Jesus is asking you to surrender, to sacrifice, so that he can be exalted? What what can you give up so that someone else can be benefited, so that someone else's faith can be progressed, so someone else's faith can grow? What is it that you can give up so that someone else can be served? Maybe it's your preferences. Maybe it's your political persuasions. Maybe it's the things that you say or post or the places you go or the the people. I I don't know what it is, but there are things probably in all of our lives as you sit there and think about this morning, online or here in person, what is it that Jesus wants you to surrender, to give up, so that someone else can be benefited by it, so that God can be exalted? And these cultures that I mentioned earlier about sacrifices, they, they understood in this first century, they understood what was, uh, what was involved with animal sacrifices, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been around 
I don't want to get too gross. Uh, I grew up in Alaska. My dad's killed like everything in Alaska you can kill, so I apologize. I've been around like the, the gutting of animals and the skinning of animals and all that. I don't want to gross anyone out this morning. Uh, we won't let Peter know that we're talking about this. But this, this idea of animal sacrifices is not a pretty thing, okay? It's messy. It's bloody. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's probably a little bit annoying, right? And it's, and it's, it's just, it's, it's a lot of involvement to, to be able to, to pull that off. The same is true oftentimes when we sacrifice ourselves to God. It's not pretty, it's not always easy, it's not always going to look the greatest. We're not always going to know exactly what we're going to do. We gotta get our hands dirty. We gotta get our hands in and, and, and be willing to do whatever it is that God wants us to do, to sacrifice ourselves to the Lord so that he can use us. That's what Paul is talking about here in these verses. He says, I'm going to give up what I would rather have so that you can be benefited by my life, so that you can be benefited by the gospel. He writes to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 12 and verse one, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This the, the, the laying down of our life, the sacrificing of our life, of our bodies to God, this is your true worship. And so if we are to be citizens of heaven, we are to live our life open-handed, saying, God, whatever you want, not what I want, but what do you want of me so that you can be glorified? and so that more people can come to know and believe and follow you. My hope is that now and always, Christ will be exalted in my life or in my death. Right now, we're gonna get ready to receive communion together. Hopefully you picked one of these little cups up on the way in. If you're watching online, I hope that you'll prepare to join us here to receive communion this morning. But as we do, as we receive these elements, I wanna remind us why we do this really quickly. We partake in communion here at Highlands Community Church because it's a picture of the gospel, a picture of what we've just been talking about today. The idea that Jesus would sacrifice himself, that God would send his son to die on a cross for our sins. And the bread that we're going to take here in a moment represents the body of Jesus that was broken. And the cup represents his blood that was spilled so that we can have access to God. You see, only through Jesus, only through Jesus's sacrifice and believing that he has paid the full and final payment for our sins can we come to know God and have eternal life. Communion is just simply a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for all of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes this in verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you for the bread, your body that was broken. Lord, you went to the cross willingly. You humbled yourself even to the point of death, the death of the cross, so that we might have life, so that we might have an eternity with you. God, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Amen. Would you take? Jesus, we thank you for the cup. We thank you that your blood was spilled and poured out for us. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We thank you for the blood that washes away every stain. For without it, we cannot be whole. Without it, we cannot have a way to God. We thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name. As you're finished, would you stand as we continue to worship in song this morning?